Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. It's one of those stories that if you made it up, it would seem far-fetched. An eccentric but brilliant engineer and inventor comes up with a futuristic sports car and decides to make it in Dunmurray, in the middle of the Troubles. That car was named after its maker, John DeLorean. Well, here it is, unquestionably the most talked-about car here at Motor Fair, the DeLorean. I, uh, essentially, I'm an engineer, and I like a, a product, I like technical things. Very proud of our car, which essentially, I think, is a, is a major engineering contribution to the state-of-the-art of automobiles. At the time, the car was not a huge success, but Hollywood brought it to the big screen at iconic status. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? In this episode of The Bell Tale, I find out about the rise and fall of John DeLorean from Belfast Telegraph reporter and avid researcher Andrew Madden. Roads, we're going, we don't need roads. Andrew. You're very welcome to the Belfast Telegraph once again. Thank you for having me. John DeLorean, where did he come from? Well, he was born in January 1925. His parents were Eastern European immigrants. He was born in Detroit, Michigan. Um, I suppose his connection, his first connection really to the automotive industry would have been through his father, who was a union organiser at the nearby Ford Motor Company. Now, as a kid in school, he signed up for the electrical curriculum, and that's where he kind of excelled. And that would later lead, in, lead him into engineering. He earned a scholarship at the Lawrence Institute of Technology. So then in World War II, he was drafted for military service and he served three years in the US Army before he was discharged in 1946. So he eventually completed university and he signed up to the Chrysler Institute of Engineering. And he also went to night classes at this time at the University of Michigan School of Business. So he clearly had... Um, a lot of ambition, anyway, in, t- in terms of his future career. And it's a classic American story. He's the self-made man. He's the son of Eastern European immigrants. He worked hard. Very he much had so. a natural talent. And it's it's the real American story, isn't it? Very much so, because he came from nothing. You know, his parents were not wealthy whatsoever. His, his dad was, was an alcoholic. Um, he didn't, a lot of his friends growing up in that area in Detroit would have ended up um, in prison or worse. Um, and he really 
to set his heart on making something of himself. So um, after serving his time at the Chrysler Institute of Engineering, he worked at Chrysler just for less than a year. It was kind of like a graduate scheme. Um, and then he joined the Packard Motor Company in 1953. Now this is where he started um, getting the attention from his bosses for his work. Um, and he later became the, the head of uh, Packard's R&D department. And then um, if we fast forward to 1956, he joined uh, General Motors. Um, and I was there, he produced dozens of patented innovations, uh, innovations and he was promoted to chief engineer in 1961. So he was the, the brains behind the, the Pontiac GTO when he, any uh, petrol heads would be familiar with that muscle car. The great one is 400 cubic inches of glistening engine. The great one is a superb road handling chassis. The great one is bucket seats, carpeting, and a walnut-styled instrument panel. The great one is Pontiac GTO for 1967. And that's what he was long associated for, because I was reading about him, doing a bit of research on the internet, and they said, well, whatever he did after it, you know, he's seen as this hero for 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 a petrol head because he, he conceptualized this idea of the muscle car, simply putting a big engine in a medium-sized car and away you go. Exactly. And he was known for being a fantastic engineer, but he had a vision of what he wanted to see on the road and he was able to have that, he had that drive and the creativity and that charisma to be able to, to make that into a reality. Um, and we'll get on to that later with um, his his baby car, shall we say. So, so he's with these yeah. big companies. He's 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 working as an engineer. He's designing. He's innovating, mm-hmm. and he's creating cars, which some of which are, are, are have stood the test of time and are very famous cars. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, does he does he become frustrated with his work in those companies? Or yeah, well, he became the youngest general manager in history of Pontiac at age forty. But this is when his his personality started to um, kind of rile his bosses a bit. He started rubbing shoulders with celebrities um, and he kind of refined his image. He lost a lot of weight. He had facial uh, reconstructive surgery. Um, He started lifting weights and he started um, cultivating this image himself as a kind of a playboy, shall we say. So he left General Motors in 1973. Now, he left in a bit of a cloud of mystery. Um, (laughs) There's rumours that he was fired for giving a presentation about the future of the company, which was less than... Rosy, um, in terms of the way he painted it, and it was leaked to the media. It was a confidential presentation, and then this obviously infuriated his bosses. But anyway, this is where he went on to Pastures New, and where we get the Northern Ireland connection comes from. And he went up to he went on then to set up the DeLorean Motor Company DMC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I presume, and I'm taking a bit of a guess here. When he set up the company, he didn't mm. think, yeah, I want to go take this to Twinbrook. No, not at all. No, he, he set it up in Detroit, but then like any any um, a new company, uh, you need money, you need uh, seed funding. So he went around the world looking for somewhere um, that, he, that he could plant his foot and build his factory. And the only reason he came to Belfast, because you had to remember this was just after, this was 1973, this was after one of the bloodiest years of the Troubles, it wasn't the place where investment went. People didn't think this was a fertile ground for starting a business in between the bombs and bullets. But um, the Northern Ireland Development Agency offered him around £100 million, which in today's money is a lot more, obviously. Um, so with that, he packed his bags and off he went to Don Murray. John Zachary DeLorean is one of the biggest names in the car world. 
He was the youngest ever vice president of the giant General Motors Company in Detroit before resigning several years ago in a series of personality and policy clashes. With his own personal fortune, he began a search for financial backing to fulfill his ambition of building his own cars in his own factory. His search ended here at Twinbrook Industrial Estate on the outskirts of Belfast. Uh, and again, um, Belfast and Belfast made ships. Mm-hmm. Not always successfully, let's mm-hmm. be honest. <laughs> We're going to cut that out. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, younger people may not know, but famous for making aircraft. And that's mm-hmm. where the city yeah. airport comes from because it was to, that's where the bombers that Shorts made took off from. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, making other things, but not not cars. No, no, cars wouldn't be our speciality. I mean, Belfast was known, you know, historically for linen and then shipbuilding, and but no, cars wasn't wasn't our forte. Just wasn't one of the one of the main sectors here. But the company, mm-hmm. wooed by money, mm-hmm. ends up in Dunmurry. I mean, what motivation would uh, the Northern Ireland Development Board, as was then, have and politically have yeah. for this company? What 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 vision did they have? Well, generally, I mean, at the time during the Troubles, the unemployment rate in Northern Ireland was staggering. And they hear all this charismatic American coming in and saying, I can uh, hire a thousand people from Northern Ireland to work in this. So these are skilled jobs, well-paid. So if you have, you know, well-paid jobs, it's good for the economy. Um, It filters down, you know, it boosts the local economy. Um, And as well, it's a good news story um, at a time when they were few and far between in Northern Ireland. And I suppose some people would have been of the opinion where if people have a good job in a car manufacturer, they mightn't be drawn into paramilitary exactly. activity. Yeah. That may or may that may be completely naive or there may be a grain of truth in that. It's hard to say, but that's probably how they were thinking. Of course, yeah. You know, if you're spending all your day in a factory um, uh, building cars, you don't have a lot of time to, to go out and uh, cause trouble. So when does the first car come out of the factory in Dunmore? Well, see, there was problems from the very beginning, really. Because a lot of the people that they hired, they've never, they have no experience in building cars before. So it was kind of a, a bit of a rush to get them trained up and to try to get the, the cars rolling off the assembly line. But it was seven, 1973 when it was set up. But John DeLorean and the factory wasn't set up in Belfast until 1979. And the first cars rolled off the assembly line in 1981. So it was almost a decade, really, before... What were they doing for a decade? I mean, now, forgive my ignorance, I, I've never manufactured a car, yeah. so I don't know. Well, there was a lot of training, there was a lot of false starts. Um, there was a lot of problems with the, the initial run in terms of the mechanics and whatnot. So, and it was kind of very much trial by error. Um, so, you know, it just essentially, they, did, they tried to do it as fast as they can. And with that, that caused problems in and of itself because they were in a rush, essentially. But regardless, it wasn't until, yeah, 1981. That, uh, that the cars hit the market. The DeLorean. Gullwing doors rise effortlessly, beckoning you inside. The sleek, stainless steel DeLorean. Beautifully crafted for long life. The DeLorean is one of the most awaited automobiles in automotive history. Drive the DeLorean. Live the dream today. So the DeLorean rolls off and, you know, looking at it, even looking at it now, I mean, it still looks great. I, th- I think it still looks great. So it, people must have been blown away by this thing. Blown away um, in both probably positive and negative. I mean, for some people, they might think it looks great. Other people 
might think it looks ridiculous. It depends on who you ask, really. And it did get mixed reviews when it came out. Um, the price tag was a bit too expensive for people, given um, the amount of horsepower that you actually got, the amount of bang for your buck. Um, there was various other problems with the car, which just in terms of its performance, really. So you, pretty much you were buying this vision that John Lorian was 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 selling you this futuristic you know car of the future with the gullwing doors, the stainless steel exterior, and whatnot. I'm going to play you a clip from the BBC's Top Gear program, and let's just have a listen to this. The brakes come from a Ford Cortina. The glove box from a Volkswagen. The door locks, Austin Allegro, gear knob, Renault Fuego. You're not really robbing from royalty, are you? From what it looks like on the outside, literally, this, he, he cannibalised parts of other cars. I mean, it, yeah. it, it seemed to be everywhere you could cut a corner and just use a, you know, it seems farcical. So that's, that's, what this, that's what's just been said. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was very much kind of a Frankenstein car almost. Um, just in in the design and the going back to the fact that a lot of the the workers that were um, assembling these cars hadn't worked before in that kind of field. And DeLorean was in a rush and he was trying to cut corners in terms of the cost because, you know, finances with these things are always tricky. So, yeah, he had a mishmash of parts from different cars and then he put them all into one. And then that's what caused some of the mechanical problems with the car and it impacted its performance. Yeah. Now... There, there are some debates. Uh, I've been looking up online about how good or how bad was it, and some people say, "Well, if you replace the engine, it's you know, it's it, mm. it's it's great or whatever." Uh, I mean, I think it does. It, it still looks futuristic and uh, uh, and very interesting mm-hmm. from the outside, at least. In the inside, if you look into a DeLorean, it's you know, it's uh, it's not that hot, but it's it was it's it you know, it's it's a lot hotter inside than what my grandfather's Ford Fiesta looked like from the same period. Very much so. It's night and day. I mean, this was something people had never seen before. These did, didn't make cars that looked like that. Um, it was just, it was completely different and like it or loathe it, it was memorable, shall we say. Now, leaving aside the status that it, that it grew into, mm-hmm. let's just say, and how good or bad was it? Because we're not going to test drive uh, DeLorean today and even if I did I wouldn't be qualified I have to admit into giving a learned opinion as to the performance of a car but mm-hmm. we can report that it was a commercial failure It was I mean of the around 7,000 cars in the initial run only 50% were sold by February 1982 and at that time it emerged that somehow John DeLorean had managed to get the company into 175 million debt and the Dunmurray factory was placed into receivership. So less than two years before the cars were off the assembly line, the business was near enough kaput. The DMC sports car, the stainless steel brainchild of John Zachary DeLorean. But by Thursday afternoon, the DeLorean bubble had burst. Behind these gates at Dunmurray, the company was facing a financial collapse. It was just 18 months after production began, but it was feared that this could be the last consignment of cars from the company's plant. For the workforce, it seemed that their jobs were at risk, and for many, their jobs it's could threatened. be gone. Do you feel that your jobs are threatened? Very threatened, indeed. But we'll just have to see how it works out today at this meeting. After that, who knows? The door again. So, and we can see footage of people losing their jobs, and that that hope 
gone, et cetera, and a lot of questions as to what happened, the money invested in it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, well, essentially, John DeLorean was asking the government for more money again and again and again. But what happened was in 1981, there was also a change of government and Thatcher came in and she wasn't too thrilled with the situation where you were given this American tens of millions of pounds worth of taxpayers' money and not getting the results in return. Um, so she quickly put a stop to it. And then this left John, Don DeLorean in a sticky situation where he had no money, his factory was in receivership, um, and he had nowhere to go, really. We'll come back to John DeLorean, mm-hmm. because we've seen his rise, and this is the, this is where it, that's where it ended. But we cannot talk about John DeLorean. We cannot talk about the DeLorean without talking about probably the reason ultimately we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. Because then along comes Dr. Emmett Brown, and the rest is history. Or should I say... The future. That's it. Uh, Doc Brown and Marty McFly, might, and the the defining image from that, from the Back to the Future movie is the DeLorean. Yeah, and actually, John DeLorean didn't even know they were going to use that car prior to the movie coming out. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? The way I see it. If you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? And for anybody who doesn't know, it's a 1985 film. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they do know because it's still shown quite regularly on Mm -hmm. on, on TV today. It became a trilogy. That film starred Christopher Lloyd as Dr. Emmett Brown, Mm -hmm. Michael J. Fox, of course, Mm -hmm. as Marty McFly, but it also starred the DeLorean. It starred the DeLorean, yeah. Uh, And you cannot imagine that they would have used any other vehicle whatsoever to produce the time machine. No, when you look back at it now, it kind of looks like the car was made for that film almost, and it plays its own car in the film you know it's a central of the plot and whatnot but yeah it was just the perfect fit I mean whenever the the producers of that film and the, and the writers were probably coming up with the image they probably couldn't believe their luck that they had it just sitting there in a factory in Dunmurray and obviously Back to the Future was a roaring it was a roaring success <laughs> it was yes. a roaring success yes. and a roar, roaring commercial success mm-hmm. but the failure of the DeLorean car and the failure of the factory in 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 Don Murray mm-hmm. led to the failure of John DeLorean's career and more than that his f- total fall from grace I think his quote one of his defining quotes is this, would you buy a second hand car from me that is that is so what yeah. happened well when I went into receivership um, another 2000 cars were produced until um, John DeLorean was arrested dramatically and liquidation proceedings were launched and the British government seized the factory. Now, so what happened to John DeLorean? We talk about Hollywood films. He managed to get himself involved in a <laughs> cocaine trafficking case um, with $116 million worth of cocaine and he was videotaped in a hotel in America sitting down with quote-unquote businessmen who turned out to be agents of the FBI and the Drug Enforcement Agency and he was dramatically arrested on camera and he was put in the back of a police car with strobe lights in his eyes and that's the the, the image that, that is the fall of, of John DeLorean. Between this and the other, it'll generate uh, gold. <laughs> gold weighs more than that.
he needed to get money from somewhere. Well, that's it. He went yeah. to investors and they offered him then more money if he would personally smuggle or facilitate the facilitate sp- it, yeah. And it was, I mean, it was the feds all along. It was, yeah. Now, we call that entrapment, of course. And that's what his lawyers were able to argue um, because it was known that John Loring would have done anything to keep his factory going, to keep the, keep the, the cars running off the assembly line and he would look anywhere for it. Now, the government's case kind of fell apart because it turned out that one of their informants had actually approached John DeLorean and asked him um, to become involved in this cocaine scheme. And it was obviously the FBI and the DEA that set it up. So they were able to claim that this was entrapment. This would have never happened if the FBI and DEA didn't get involved. And he was subsequently acquitted. But as you say, the harm was done to his reputation because there was one famous clip from the, the FBI sting in the hotel room where he holds up a bag of cocaine and he says, this stuff's better than gold. Um, so regardless of him being acquitted or not, as you said, he was famously quoted afterwards, as you mentioned, saying, would you buy a used car from me now? And like one of the things I suppose we have to point out, there's many cases, similar cases, the, the FBI would have done this mm-hmm. in the hope mm-hmm. that you know, entrapment cases that can work in the US legal system despite the work, fact yeah. that there's no there's no indication that he would have done this anyway. Yeah, you know, exactly, you know yeah. that he was in the market. So and that's why it was thrown out. But nevertheless, yeah. the evidence involved was exactly. all out there. Yeah, it went through a whole very, very highly publicized trial, as you can imagine. And a lot of uh, very damaging stuff came out during the trial. But ultimately, um entrapment cases they're they're a high risk strategy and this one failed for the authorities. But it wasn't exactly a successful outcome for John DeLorean either. Regardless, he was acquitted, but... He was taken down. He was taken down. The harm was done. He was also connected to fraud charges. Several fraud charges, yeah. In 1985, um, he was indicted on charges of defrauding his investors and tax evasion. Um, but again, he was he was also acquitted uh, from that. But no one wanted to do business with John DeLorean anymore after all this, as you as you can imagine. Actually, going back to the, his time in Dunmurry, um, during that, it turned out that twenty three million of funding he had been given was transferred to Panamanian bank account. Actually, yeah. Back with more. What I don't understand is why would the British government on purpose put egg on their face? Because it is egg on their face. They closed a plant that gave employment to people in Northern Ireland. Why would they fall prey to what the United States wanted, what you say the United States wanted? No, no. I think that the British had made up their mind not to. See, they've been selling off all the government-owned businesses. They've sold off, they're selling off British Leyland, British Airways, British Petroleum, British Steel. And they had elected not to not to do any more industrial development. And that's the reason they would not honor the balance of our contracts. Because I think I'm... He was definitely, I mean, when we look at the footage of him, he was a colourful character. He was. He was a guy that always had time for the press. Um, he liked his own image. He was known for carrying around a little compact mirror to, to take his image out. And he was for, filled his house with mirrors and... Um, he had a very, very carefully cultivated image and he was known for rubbing shoulders with celebrities and living this kind of uh, rock star lifestyle. But by 1999, he declared personal bankruptcy um, after fighting about, I think it was 40 legal cases over the years. Um, and in the years leading up to his death, he did have plans to try to resurrect the, the DMC, the, the car, but uh, that never came to fruition. And I remember after his death, uh, reading that... Hard Weitzman, he was his longtime lawyer. He told the, the LA Times that um, after John DeLorean passed away, um, that John DeLorean had one of the most warped views of right and wrong of anyone he'd ever come across. Having said all of that, 8,000 
975 DeLoreans were made here in Belfast. They were indeed, yeah. So they did manage to make an awful lot of cars. You see them about, I mean, a lot of them are clearly still in existence. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some people that have dedicated their their lives to, you know, refurbishing these cars and they're, and, and keeping them ticking. And there's, there's one sitting in museums, places. Yeah. So the legacy of the car, I mean, and we have discussed Back to the Future. Yeah. It's still an iconic thing and it still has a, an incredible story behind it and an incredible personality behind it and it, that's part of its cult attraction and yeah. there are owner societies we see, we can see sometimes they come together, we can see them on the motorway, etc. So it is a story, I suppose, which just keeps going and probably will keep going as long as the cars keep going. Well, that's it, yeah. I think, you know, with the movie, it's, it's cemented its place in history um, and because of that, people will always remember it and even to this day... Um, Every now and again, you hear stories of, oh, I hear they bring this car back. I hear they're bringing it back. And then with that comes the stories of John DeLorean. And and no harm to the car experts, but if these cars are still going well over 40 years later, well, how bad could they have been? Well, that's it. Andrew Madden, thank you very much once again for joining us here in the studio. Thank you. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The clips you heard were from the film Back to the Future, of course. BBC's Top Gear programme, UTV, RTE and BBC News. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colours, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.